Hello, and welcome to Central College Presents, the home of all things Central College Presbyterian Church in Westerville, Ohio. From sermons and interviews to announcements and original content, Central College Presents is your location to find out what's going on at the CCPC campus. Consider joining us for Sunday services, both contemporary and traditional, via our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ccpchurch, that's with three C's, or follow along with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash centralcollegechurch, or take a look at our website at www.ccpc.us. Thank you for your support in helping CCPC's mission of making the kingdom of God visible in all that we do. Now, on with the show. Hey, what do you think the reputation of Central College is out in the community? You know, when I moved here 13, 14 years ago, I was really always listening for that, for what people said about this church, and I mostly heard two things. They said, oh, that's the church where I went to preschool or where my kids went to preschool. And then, of course, I also heard from many people, oh, that's the church where Rev married my parents or buried my grandparents or baptized me. And I still ask people this all the time. Um, Tell me about uh, Central College. You know about Central College, the church on Sunbury Road? And I sometimes hear funny things. One of my favorites was somebody said, oh, that's the church across from the bait store. So that's our reputation. We're the church right there across from the bait store. You can come to church on Sunday morning, pick up your bait and hit Hoover Reservoir in the afternoon. Sometimes, of course, I hear things that bring more joy to my heart than something funny like that. I hear, hear people say, aren't you the church that has sponsored that sunrise service that I go to? Or aren't you the church that gives free fireworks to the community? Or aren't you the church that, that uh, has these incredible Christmas Eve services? In other words, what I hear people saying now is, this is the church. That's the church for the community. Try it yourself with your neighbors and friends. Just say, hey, you know I go to Central College. When I say Central College, what do you think of? What's our reputation? Could you tell me? What would you like our reputation to be? Well, for me, I'd love it if our reputation far and wide was our mission, that we would be known for our calling and for our action for the things that we do. You know, mission statements are popular, aren't they, in business and and even in churches? Here's some great mission statements I looked up this week. You probably, uh, you'll know these companies. Tesla, I love their mission statement, to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. And if you've ever had the privilege of getting in one of those Teslas, man, they can accelerate, let me tell you. JetBlue, here's another great one, to inspire humanity both in the air and on the ground. How about IKEA? IKEA says, to create a better everyday life for the many people. That's pretty good. And then lastly, I bet you know this one, Nike. Did you know Nike's uh, um, statement is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world? And then they've got an asterisk, and the asterisk says, if you have a body, you are an athlete. Well, last week, we began unpacking Central College's mission statement. Our mission simply is to be living out the gospel. That's in one phrase. But now this week and the next two weeks, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. There's three phrases that describe how we live out the gospel. So our whole mission statement is living out the gospel. Read it out loud with me. I'm going to have you do this every week until this just gets into your memory. So let's read it aloud. Living out the gospel by reflecting the love of Jesus, seeking God's righteousness, and pursuing kingdom justice. So this week, we're going to take a deep dive just on this 
first part, this reflecting the love of Jesus. Now, you may be quick to say, hey, we've got this one at Central College, don't we? I mean, we've got the food pantry. We've, we've got the preschool. we paired with other congregations downtown um, to try to do justice ministry. We have this incredible Christmas offering I've written to you about and shared with you last week where we're just blessing those outside the church. We've did, done Kairos cookies. So much, yes, love pours out from this place. But I think it's still good to step back sometimes and to sharpen our focus because notice that the mission that we have is not just reflecting love, but it's reflecting the love of Jesus. And so first we need to ask, well, what is it? What is this love of Jesus? You know, sometimes I think uh, we become so familiar with what the Scriptures teach us about Jesus, we think, hey, we've already got all this stuff. We've, we've heard everything we can hear about Jesus. But I think a, a fresh look can be really revealing, particularly when we look at somebody like Jesus. In fact, there's an opportunity coming up to do exactly that. Some of you may have seen this great uh, video series that came out this last year called The Chosen. It gives a really fresh perspective on, uh, on who Jesus was and how he related to people. Uh, we're going to be doing on Thursday night, starting on the 28th at 7 o'clock, hosted by Pastor Jim, for eight weeks each Thursday, we're going to watch one of those 40-minute episodes and then have a time of reflection. So if you'd really like to get a fresh look at this one who we say is our Lord and Savior, then you might want to put that on your calendar beginning on Thursday, uh, January 28th. You can call the church office and let them know that you want to be a part, and that way you'll get an invitation to the, to the Zoom meeting, the online gathering. Well, our text today is one of the best for seeing Jesus' love in action. In fact, I think it unpacks what Jesus' love is all about in a way that oftentimes we miss, even when we just look at the cross, although the cross, of course, is a supreme picture of that love as well. It begins, this is John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Listen to this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We're going to look at the following verses in just a moment, but just a comment here about the way John's gospel is constructed. Chapter 13 begins a shift. Uh, and chapter 13, in fact, the language that John uses begins to change. For instance, if you were to look up in the Gospel of John the number of times he says the word life, you'd see that there's 50 times that he uses the word life in chapters 1 through 12, but only six times in chapters 13 through 17. The word light, John uses that 32 times in chapters 1 through 12, and no times <laughs> from 13 to 17. But the word love, well, he uses it 12 times in those first 12 chapters, one time a chapter, but 34 times in these last five chapters. So let's continue on. It was the Passover, and then it says the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him.
What is this foot washing thing? Do you notice that this passage, first of all, begins with Jesus' love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love the way the old NIV, 1982, I think it was, put it. He now showed them the full extent of his love, it says. But the passage then ends in verse 17, where we're going, with now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to give you, show you this love, and then I want it to transform you. I want it to change you, who you are, what you do. I want my teaching, he's saying, to permeate your life, that I might be not just your teacher, but also your Lord. Well, since we can't reflect what we can't see, we can't give what we don't have, the first thing that we have to do is to to recognize what this love of Jesus is. Let's finish our passage real quick here. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so the path that we're going to trace through this passage is really three parts. We're going to first recognize the love of Jesus. Then we're going to talk about how we receive that love because until we do those two things, we can't really reflect the love of Jesus. So let's begin with recognizing the love of Jesus, understanding what this love of Jesus is all about. Here again is is verse 3. It says that Jesus knew, Jesus knew who he was before God, and at that moment, he takes off his outer clothing, picks up the basin, and he washes their feet. Now, you have to understand foot washing in the first century. Of course, they wore open-toed sandals, and the streets were dusty. But it wasn't just dust that they would be tracking into the house because the streets also were filled with rubbish. In fact, they were walking on the same paths that that the animals, the livestock, were using. So the feet would be filthy with dung. You might remember some of the stories about foot washing in the New Testament. Jesus in the Pharisee's house, for instance, where a woman comes in and, and weeps at his feet. See, they didn't sit at like a kitchen table. They reclined on the floor, and she was behind him, washing his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair. You may remember John the Baptist, who, when people ask him if he's the coming Messiah, he said, no, one is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. He's saying, I'm not even worthy to to wash his feet, because washing feet was a stinky, lousy, menial task. In fact, a good host would provide a servant so those coming into the house wouldn't have to wash their own feet. 
of the context this particular night is the disciples have just been arguing about who can sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand, who can take the seats of honor. And I can imagine they come rushing into this room, into this secret place where they're going to have the, the Passover meal, and they bypass in their eagerness and their pride the most basic hospitality. They must have been in shock when the one at the head of the table gets up, takes the basin, and kneels down to wash their feet. Just that he'd gotten up from the throne in heaven and come down to be a man, now he comes up from the table and then kneels down to serve. You see, Jesus' love, if we're going to recognize what it is, we'd have to say Jesus' love is, well, it's a kneeling kind of love. Or put another way, Jesus' love is washing feet. Can you imagine? It's kind of radical, isn't it? You know, when we think about love, loving the difficult, for instance, the people with dirty feet, we might think of, uh, well, we'll tolerate them. You know, we'll put up with them. But no, real love says you get dirty. You get involved. You don't just come down eye to eye, but you go beneath and below that you might lift the other up all the way down to serve. We might think that love is all about attraction. It's about romance. But no, real love loves not just because something or someone is attractive. Love, real love, Jesus' love, is service. It's action. It's not just a feeling. You know, one of the ways that I was really convicted this week looking at this passage was, was to look at Jesus' love compared to my love. You know, I realized that most of my love is what I'd call hunger love, you know? I love someone because they make me feel special. They make me feel significant. They complete me, you know? I want them, uh, to, I want them to, I want to have them because they do something in my life, because they're going to help me become myself. That's hunger kind of love. Can you identify with love as hunger? I remember in sixth grade, my first crush was on Sandy Rankin, and I could lay in bed at night, and all I would have to do is think her name, Sandy, and my stomach would flip. I remember thinking, that is the craziest thing. Let's try it again. Sandy, and my stomach was flipped. That's hunger kind of love. But here we have a very, very different kind of love. I heard an example this last week that really defines it well, I think. Imagine that you've just had a, a great meal, a great feast, and you go out for a walk, and you come across a beautiful apple tree, just ripe with fruit. Are you going to eat any of that? Probably not, <laughs> because you're full, right? You don't have a hunger. But you might appreciate the tree just for its beauty. You might even fertilize it or, or pick off some dead leaves and branches, something to, to make it even more beautiful. Loving the tree for its beauty, loving the tree for love. Now imagine you come across that same tree, but you haven't had the feast beforehand. You're, you're ravenous in your hunger. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to tear it apart, aren't you? You're going you're gonna to eat. You're going to feast on that tree. See, love that gives rather than love that hungrily takes, that's Jesus' kind of love. Love that loves for love's sake versus a love that loves for my sake. I don't know about you, but that's challenging to me. I wonder, have I ever loved in this way that Jesus loves? I mean, I'll confess, I'm hungry. <laughs> Who among us isn't hungry, starving for affirmation, starving for completion? starving for affection. But don't fret. 
Jesus knows this about us. That's why he came, after all. Because only Jesus can assuage that hunger. Remember how he put it in John chapter 6? He said, I'm the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never hunger. And the one who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus' love is a kneeling love. It's a a foot-washing love. Well, once we recognize this different kind of love, there's a second question. How do we actually receive that? How do we get to the place where we not only know it in our heads, but it's permeated our lives to the point where we can love, not just out of our hunger, but we can love for love's sake? How do we receive the love of Jesus? Move it from head down to the heart. Well, the middle part of this passage that I just read for you um, gives us two figures. It's a comparison, really, of two people. Peter and Judas. So let's look at Peter first. Verse 6 says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Look at Peter's response. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Don't you love Peter? I mean, you've got to love this guy. He, he's so like us in some ways. You know, he dares when he sees Jesus walking out to them on the water to say, call me out and I'll walk with you, right? He, he dares at one point in Jesus' ministry to forbid the Lord to go to Jerusalem. Can you imagine? He's the one who declares later this same night, I will never forsake you. And of course, later he sees the resurrected Jesus on shore and it says he strips off his clothes and and jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. He's, he's so headstrong. But here, Peter's an illustration, I think, of, of why people often can't find God. You know, if you ask people, why do you think it's so hard to seek God and to find God? Oftentimes, I think what people say is because God's so other. He's so distant, you know, he's so high. But in reality, people, I think, struggle to find God because he's too close. He's too low. He's he's in your face. He's at your feet. He died for you. And now he says, will you give yourself to me as I've given myself to you with this kneeling, foot-washing, cross-bearing kind of love? Now, Peter can't figure it out. He doesn't seem to realize what dire straits he is in, that we're all in. He doesn't realize that he needs a dying Savior. But being Peter, he thinks he gets it now. So he says, then Lord, don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And look at Jesus' response. He says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean, and you are clean. You know, every time in this passage it talks about washing, but one, it's a, a particular word that means wash just apart. Here, though, when it says, those who've had a bath, it's saying, when you've been completely cleansed, completely washed. It's, it's almost like not just the outside, but the inside. And indeed, Jesus here is saying, if you've believed in me, Peter, and you have, you're washed, right? What can wash away my sin? It's only going to be Jesus. What can make me whole again? It's only going to be Jesus. And so if you've accepted what Jesus has done for you, you are clean. But walking each day through this world 
we stumble in the dust and the dirt, in the excrement. <laughs> it's not that we're needing salvation. We've already got that. We've been washed. But we need forgiveness. We need daily Jesus to come and wash the grime of sin off of us. I think the psalmist David understood this when he said in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O Lord. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression and wash away all my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression. It's always before me and against you and you only I have sinned. The hymn, Rock of Ages, speaks about this, this two-part impact of, of sin. Yes, there's the sin that leads to guilt and condemnation, and that's been lifted off in Jesus Christ. But there's also that same sin that pollutes our hearts. And we need Jesus to come and, and wash that away each and every day. Be of sin the double cure, Rock of Ages says. Cleanse me of its guilt and its power. Now, before we reflect this love that we've received, there's one more character in this scene. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And then he says, and you are clean. You are clean, Peter, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. He's speaking here about Judas. Have you noticed that the gospel writers always show Judas right there with the disciples almost to the very end? He's still there with them at this meal. He's, he's shared the meal. Jesus has washed his feet. Here's the caution. Think about it. With the other disciples, Judas had the best small group history has ever known. He's had the best teacher, the best moral example, the best training for ministry. In other words, He's had more input than almost anybody else than those disciples. Certainly more than me and you. And with the other disciples, he was sent out by Jesus to teach and to, to heal. In fact, I think it's safe to say Judas probably impacted for the good more people's lives than you and I ever will, no matter how much ministry we do. And yet, with all of this great input and all of this great output, he wasn't clean. He'd never truly accepted Jesus. He'd never been transformed. How about you? With all the input that's been poured into you in your life and all the good that you are doing in your family, in our church, in the community, have you moved from all that doing to being? <laughs> from the inputs of Bible study and prayer, hey, that's good stuff, and the outputs of worship and service to realizing the dire straits that you are in? that you need a foot-washing Savior, a dying Savior? You know, if you haven't, the most important part of this day for you is right now. It's time to receive. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another moment. Because it doesn't matter how much good you do. See, nothing to the cross I bring, the hymn puts it, only to the cross I cling. Is it time for you to say, yes, Lord, I'm hopeless without a dying Savior? You see, you can't reflect the love of Jesus if you don't recognize what Jesus' love is, this foot washing, 
this kneeling kind of love. But you also can't truly reflect what you haven't received. Jesus says, I see that sin has made you hungry. I see your hunger. So you can't really love people except from your hunger. Do you realize that? You remember the, the golden rule? Remember how Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself? In other words, to do unto others as you would do unto yourself, have them do unto you? We can't even do that, can we? I mean, think about how we respond to somebody who, for instance, storms the Capitol. Do we think those people are worthy of grace? Are those people that we would get down on our knees and we would wash their feet? Or do we say, nope, they blew it and write them off? Well, where have you been in your life when you've blown it? Haven't you wanted people to say, I'm not going to write that one off? Even though they don't deserve it in this moment, I see them as an image bearer, and I'm going to find a way to love. Love for love's sake, not for attraction's sake. Jesus says, look, I know you can't truly put yourself in somebody else's place. To love your neighbor is yourself. So I've come to put myself in your place so that you can start then to do the same. Look how our text closes. This is verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and and rightly so, for this is what I am. If I then, who am your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, only if we're completely freed from hunger love by, by what Jesus has done, are we free for service love. Think back to the beginning of the passage. It says that Jesus, knowing that he had come from God and that he'd be returning to God, knowing, in other words, that that he's been loved, was free from hunger love. That's when he's able to serve. It's only when we get that we are loved by Jesus so completely that the Lord of heaven has come to wash our feet, to bear our sins, that now we can be free from hunger love. He's the only meal that's satisfied. And now we're free for service love. This is what we mean when we say our mission at Central College is to live out the gospel by reflecting this kind of love, Jesus' love. How then do we live out this gospel this week? This service love over hunger love? Well, let me ask you a question. What's dirty feet to you? Where are the places or what are the things or who are the people that you find unpleasant? Can you find somebody who is undeserving? And then can you do something to serve? Maybe at home it's to to do something you normally wouldn't do, wash the dishes or or men, clean the toilets. You know, those get cleaned somehow and it's mostly not us. Or out in the world, maybe it's to to go and serve among the homeless with with, uh, Columbus Relief like some did a couple weeks ago. Or maybe for you, it's to um, get to know your kids' friends, hang out with the teens a little bit, or, or work in the food pantry. Hey, the list is endless, but where can you go to be a light in darkness? Where can you go to bring healing where there's hurting, cleansing where there's dirt? Where can you go to be a light shining, reflecting the light which came to you? Where can you go and love like the one who loved you? 
when you were unlovable. Friends, what wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the heavy cross for our souls. Let that love now become our love that we might reflect the love of Jesus as we live out this good news of God's gift of him to us. Amen.